Hey everyone, we want to welcome you to the Floater Founder Podcast. This is a Toronto-based podcast featuring local founders across all markets. We are your hosts, Samantha Lloyd and Lyson Casey. We are going to be bringing you interviews with exciting and hardworking founders. They will be sharing their experience creating and leading a company. Thanks for listening. Hi everyone, you're here with Floater Founder. I'm your host, Samantha Lloyd, here as always with my lovely co-host, Liza and Casey. Hello everyone. And today we are super, super, super excited to get to interview Michelle McBain, who is the Managing Director and Founder of Stand Up Ventures, which is part of the Mars Investment Accelerator Fund here in Toronto. Good morning. Should I say morning? <laughs> <laughs> Morning's perfect. Morning's fine. Uh, so Great thank to be you here. so much for hosting us in your space today. Um, so let's start by talking about what Stand Up Ventures is. Sure. So Stand Up Ventures was um, a fund that was launched out of a, a platform a fund called the Mars Investment Accelerator Fund. And so uh, Mars IF is a seed stage fund investing between friends and family series A uh, in Ontario-based companies. We've made um, over 115 investments uh, and had the pleasure of investing in some pretty well-known Toronto, Waterloo, Ottawa-based companies that have gone on to raise a fair bit of funding. And because at the time we had a number of female investment directors, we had a higher than average proportion of female-led or co-led uh, ventures in our fund. So we were at 12% at the time with, you know, I like to say without even trying, right? It was It was just something we were doing organically um, because we were sourcing uh, women-led or co-led businesses. And, and, and having the opportunity to partner and to invest in them. And so we were approached by um, our lead investor in May of 2017, BDC Capital, and said, we love the platform nature of what you're doing. Uh, we love that you're already focused on investing in female-led or co-led ventures. Um, and we want to get behind more women GPs. And so we're going to work with you to um, found and launch this new fund. And so we had a great partner with BDC. We... Um, we, they were very patient and allowed us to go make a number of commitments. And in May 2019, we raised uh, a fair bit more funding from folks that include uh, EDC, CIBC, RBC, Van City, uh, and Northleaf alongside BDC. And so we have uh, a fund that's now at scale. We've made nine investments, um, and we invest across Canada. And, and really, our vision is to show that um, you can create a very strong portfolio with this lens, in large part because we all know diverse organizations outperform homogenous organizations. And, and if you get the right mix of founders early on, you're more likely to build a company that, that is at gender parity. I love hearing that. And, and uh, it's great to hear uh, all the companies that are involved in this in Toronto and investing in the Toronto ecosystem and the surrounding ecosystem. Love that. And uh, how would you say is the uh, startup scene and... Uh, uh, and the VC scene kind of in Toronto and Canada different, if at all, than the U.S.? So, I mean, that's a great question. And, and we were actually chatting about that a bit yesterday um, at another event I was at. And and I think the U.S. is 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 Silicon Valley and the rest of the U.S. And, and, and Canada is, is, you know, very different than the Valley um, and probably a lot more similar to some of the other regions that, that are in the U.S. where we see now a lot of VCs coming up to Toronto looking for deal flow. So lots of folks from Chicago, from Boston, from, um, you know, founders right now talking to a VC from Cincinnati as an example. So, so I think we're much more aligned with the rest of the U.S. I think Silicon Valley is a very special thing. It's been around for a very long time. And folks there have raised a lot of money. And there's a lot of money in the ecosystem. And, and the model is to, you know, shoot for the moon. 
where where we've been very successful is by having a fairly low failure rate and and returning three four five x versus you know the usual one time ten x um, and that's a model that suits us and suits what we do that's great and um what as a vc are you looking for in a company to make them investment worthy mm-hmm. great question so so first of all is our stage so we invest at the seed stage uh, we uh, invest across Canada we uh, invest for the most part um, in b2b enterprise uh, software companies although we will do some med tech and we will do um, some clean tech but less so if we um, if we if someone's you know has a shovel and is digging a hole in the ground um, that's less what we do we uh, will do BDSMB we likely won't do B2C type businesses so so if you think of you know let's screen uh, from our perspective where we invest that's sort of the first screen um, the second screen we, we talk about is what we call the four T's and they're their team timing traction technology and those are four T's that you can use across the various phases of fundraising. You know, a, a, a Series D investor would look at the same thing, but they would weight things differently. And so at the seed stage, you're really betting on the team. And, and that's what's really key for us. We look for traction. We like to know that we can call uh, a potential customer. They do have some revenue typically um, and some, some customer validation. So we like to say, hey, um, can we chat to a customer who isn't a friend or family? You know, that you kind of um, did some cool selling and they've bought on and they're now evangelizing what you're doing um technology is is a big t of course and 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 you'll put more weight on it depending on the type of business it is so so if it is a med tech business you want to know that there's some deep technology there that's pretty unique um if it's uh, an ai sort of business you want to know that there's some some folks around the table who are very much experts in that area and can do it um but it really depends on the business um and timing uh, we chat about this a lot you know i've made some investments that i just loved and were brilliant founders and amazing technologies but they were actually too early to the market the flip side is you know who's who's going to invest now in a ride sharing application right that that, that market's saturated it's done you know there's there's no innovation there um you know every, everything's kind of passed that from a timing perspective and and again the four t's as we call them you can you can look at different stages as you go along so obviously series abc traction is going to take more weight than uh some of the other elements awesome um so when you probably look at so many decks in a day uh what are some things that really stand out positively to you that you're like that's really cool and what are kind of some things in there that will throw up red flags yeah that's a really good question so i'll start with the red flags so um for founders fundraising, they have to balance, it's really tricky, right? They have to balance selling the dream and building a business. And so so we want to make sure that folks, um, because if you're raising venture funding, you're, you're on a path, right? You're high growth. You have to show that you can hit milestones to go raise that next round. And so you have to be able to show that there's a, a large... Uh, business that can be built here. By the same token, you have to be realistic about how much money you're bringing in and on the back of the napkin, um, how the math's going to work, how many people can you realistically hire, um, how are you going to get to unit economics that makes sense for that next round of financing, all of those things. So, so we look pretty quickly at the high level numbers. And we also know it won't be perfect, right? But what, you know, when we dig into a spreadsheet, Part of it is for us to see how the founders are thinking about building their business, right? The stories and that kind of detail. So, so, so we look to make sure that those things are kind of making sense to us. And if those don't, then you know we'll, we'll spend a bit more time or 
or um, or we won't dig in. From from a slide deck point of view, um, again, the team's super important. Want to know they have the ability and the domain expertise to do what they want to do. Um, but we also like to see that they've found early stages of product market fit and, and are getting that traction. So anytime you have um, a really good sales funnel that that kind of really is validated and shows that someone's actually paying for this and buying it, that that's a really positive thing that we look for as well. That's awesome. And so you mentioned female funding as one. What is another gap uh, that you see in the Canadian investment scene? Mm-hmm. That's a really good question. So I think there's a fair bit of seed funding. Um, it's competitive, but the, the funding's there. Um, and there's a lot of really later stage funding, um, you know, 20, 25, $30 million checks that are out there. I think there's still a challenge in the middle of that series A, B kind of funding. Um, and that'll, that'll, that'll evolve over time as companies mature and go raise more money. Um, and a lot of, um, non-Canadian investors are now starting to come up and close the gap there. So, so it's exciting. We want to make sure that we're part of those syndicates too, and that we're, we're, we're working closely with the companies through that process. And when is the right time to go and find an investor? Is it once you reach product market fit? Is it once you have a volume of customers that you can no longer maintain? When's the right time? Yeah, that's that's a t- that's a million dollar question, right? <laughs> Literally. Um, and so, and it depends on the stage that you're you're raising at. So, so if you're able to bootstrap for a period and, and get to some of those key metrics. Uh, to your to your seed round, then that's fantastic. But but often that's not the case, you know. Especially first time founders just need need that first angel check of twenty, fifty, hundred, hundred fifty. Um, the beauty in in Canada is that there is a fair bit of non dilutive cash that you can tap into and start, um, you know, using that to leverage to hire people. I heard about a program yesterday where um, if you hire someone out of one of the colleges, um, you're getting a twenty k match on the salary. So you know pretty neat stuff, right? And we're all familiar with some of the other pieces. So so those shouldn't be used as crutches, of course, but they should be used to to ensure that the founder um, is less diluted and as they kind of go to their first few milestones. Super, super important. Um, for us, we, we like to see, as I say, those first stages of, of product market fit. And that's when you're going to go raise the one to three million. Um, and then, you know, hopefully grow to those next milestones that make sense for your business. And, you know, they're pretty well defined in enterprise software. Um, there's, there's, of course, you've probably seen SAS Napkin where they kind of really described really well uh, the various stages of fundraising, uh, how much folks typically raise um, through that process based on their revenue and then um, you know ranges of valuation so for for businesses that are um, that are pretty repeatable I think there's a lot of good benchmarks out there that folks can use as a as a as a guide to what they do that's awesome and how do you go about actually starting a VC fund yeah So I was fortunate that, you know, I've been I've been an investor for a long time and and we spun this out of a platform. My advice to someone if they wanted to start a VC fund from cold would be go learn the business first. So so go work at a fund for a period of time. Establish your network, uh, particularly with the founders uh, and around deal flow and with other co-investors, because if anyone's going to uh, invest in you from an institutional point of view, those those are the questions they're going to ask. So they're going to say, who are your references? Who are the founders you've worked with? Who have you been around a board table with? Who have you co-invested with? So, so you really need to kind of start um, that process. And so you can do that either by, by working at a fund um, or angel investing. 
And so, uh, so kind of really interesting ways to start that. I actually got into VC because I was, um, I was seconded from uh, an investor that was investing in the fund. And part of the criteria was that someone from the company could go uh, learn the ways of the VCs. So I was very fortunate at the time. I didn't know what VC meant. I didn't know what secondment meant. But I found the work that I wanted to do. And I think you have to also demonstrate that passion for, um, depending on the stage you're working in. I love working at the early stage. I love working closely with founders and, you know, doing whatever I can from, for the most part, the sidelines uh, to to like pave the way for them to to do what they need to do. How can a founder go about setting a realistic valuation for the company, especially in the pre-revenue days? Yeah, that's another great question too. <laughs> so, so the best way to support it is through uh, comparables, right? And so I think there's a lot of data out there. You, know, you can go on AngelList and you can click on Toronto and see what valuation ranges are out there uh, based on the stage you're at. At the end of the day, it is a negotiation. And um, what we're always very careful of is that it's a fair deal for both parties and so we want to make sure that you know we we don't want to own 50 percent of the company after your first round that just doesn't make sense for anyone right you the founders won't be aligned to build and grow value um and 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 that's just not a, a great place to be and and we don't want to take over the company. We're not going to run it. We're, we're not founders. We're, we're, we're really betting on the team. And so, so I think it's a balance of, of um, managing dilution to the amount of money that you're raising. So, um, you know, the usual uh, rule of thumb is that um, for each stage, you raise enough money where you're selling probably 20 to 25% of the company, which sort of, sort of makes sense. And you can see how the step up goes. And you also want to make sure that you raise enough money to get to the next value creation milestone if you're going to continue on the venture path. Um, and so, so I think, you know, everyone needs to realize that not all businesses are high growth businesses where, you know, when you put a dollar in, you're going to get a multiple of your dollar out. Um, that's the goal of, of a venture grade business. And you're not, you're not uh, going to have that in the early days, but you need to be working towards that. The other way there's comparables. The other piece I would look at is at a high level, think about how much money you're going to have to raise to get to a certain point, And you just work backwards to see um, what the multiples are. We have investors, right? And so we've committed to give a return to our investors. And so so it's pretty easy to figure out the math of um, what we need to have to continue to be in business, to continue to fund uh, venture-backed companies. Very cool. And when you're um, investing in companies, obviously you're part of then many companies. How do you decide how to divide your time and uh, what to give to certain founders and how to fill the gaps properly? Yeah, that's another great question. And so um, it's not it's just not black and white, right? It really does ebb and flow. And um, I learned this from from the second fund manager I worked for back in the early days. And he he would very much focus on a given company and get them to a point where it was kind of running on its own. So it had a team around them, it had a board around them, it was, you know, kind of clicking a bit more. And then he would kind of then work with the next company and work with the next company. And he was very disciplined about it. So that that's one approach where you just kind of work through your portfolio and uh, do what you can do. For me, um, you know, I, the, there's a lot of uh, reporting requirements that are put in place. So we, we get we get a lot of information from our portfolio companies that allow us to see how things are going. Um, we can pretty easily see if things are going well or could be going better or if there's some red flags. And, and so that's 
when we kind of really work closely with the founders through that period. We, we really like to build relationships, um, and that takes time and trust to do, but we like to build relationships such that the, the founders will call us and say, hey, listen, I'm having, I'm, I'm working on this, I'm working through this, you know, could use your advice, that kind of thing. And so the, the founders who, who, um, who are, are, you know, built that way will, will work closely with the folks around the table and bring them in at the right time as well. And, and again, there's that trust relationship that we know they're, they're going to they're gonna reach out when they need to. Um, you know, and then we're trying to do different things at scale. So I was just chatting with a group here of how we could potentially um, work with, with an outsource group to uh, leverage them to then provide that offering to our founders. So just some value-add kind of things that we could tap into at a group level. Awesome. And uh, how can founders, when they're starting new companies, how can they go about building the right team for their companies? What are some kind of guidelines that they should follow when hiring and things like that? Yeah, that's that's a good HR question as well. You know, and that's where we think a lot about um, having more diverse groups in the early days, because what happens is you you typically in the early days hire who you know, right? Especially if you're, if you're, if it's your first company. And so we really like to encourage folks to, to hire folks um, and bring folks into the uh, founding team that aren't like them. Um, and so that encourages um, a different kind of uh, funnel from from a talent acquisition view from from very early on. You know, I'm not going to get the number right, but there was a story that you know Google got to a certain number, like thousands of people, and that's when they realized they had a diversity issue, and that's when it's a lot harder to figure out uh, and to fix. Versus, I know a lot of founders in our in our portfolio um, will say we don't even think about it because we're we're you know, and, and this is just one element of diversity, but we're a gender parity because we started doing it early on, and we're at 50, 100 people, and it's just happening organically because we draw from a much wider funnel i met with a woman yesterday who's um who's looking for her next thing and and she actually said she looks at the websites of the company she's thinking about approaching and she will look to see you know what the leaders look like and what the culture is and ask around and so the other comment would be um for founders to think a bit about the culture that they 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 feel is important to their company and and then how they they kind of share that in a really true way um into the community and um what can someone do then in the early stage to really encourage that diversity when it is so much easier to just hire people you know and accidentally surround yourself with people who support your values and tend to almost repeat what you say Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i i i think it's it's so key you know i look at the 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 many of the companies that we invest in you know one of our companies uh, Nigel Rewards they um, sell a tool to frontline retail folks and so you have to believe that there's going to be a diverse group using that tool and so the benefit is that you're going to have folks with very different experiences building the tool and it's going to make your tool that much better as a result I, I think you just have to um, look at a wider funnel from the get-go and decide you know, when I first started stand-up, a lot of people would say, well, it should be meritocracy that drives your decisions around who you hire. And, and, and who's to say what, what is right or wrong anymore, right? Like there's, 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 especially at the startup stage, you're always exploring, you're always testing. And so, you know, I think you have to be pretty open-minded to start with, to, to start an early-stage company and pretty brave. And so there's a balance of finding people who you know well to go down this journey because it it's a lonely time and you want to you want to trust who you're working with but um you know I encourage people to just sort of 
think a bit more widely about the funnel of folks that they're that they're attracting to the company and potentially having different interview processes to make sure that you highlight different skill sets. Um, and, and some people just fail in interviews, right? It's, and, and they're probably very good at what they do. Um, and so just, just trying to put in processes um, that will potentially bring forward some different talent than you might normally think about. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And uh, how can a new company go about achieving product market fit? Um, how do you like gain actual insight from watching customers use your product? Mm-hmm. I mean, every there's a lot of set processes to do that. I think, you know, if you go through the lean startup methodology, I mean, if that's still the right process to use. But I think that that when I look back at what that was, that was actually market research, right? Like, let's let's just think about what people are doing there. And they're actually going out they're talking to their customer, um, they're doing it early on so that there's, you know, not some mistakes that are built into the product that are a little tougher to do. Um, and they're just iterating. And and people always ask, you know, how do you know when you have product market fit? And and um, my my comment is, and it just sounds so, so trite, but it's you just know. And you can see the flywheel kicking in, right? And it just happens and people are buying into it and and it becomes a little bit easier to do. And so, um, you know, I was chatting to someone who's who's uh, who's consulting to, to a pretty large company and she's like, oh my gosh, I could see how it happened because it's just buzzing. There's another company, uh, it's a company called Flipgive and it's fundraising for, um, for sports teams. And... Someone in my mom's Facebook group asked, what platform do you use? And, you know, six out of 10 or seven out of 10 answers were flip I'm like, they have product market fit, right? You, you yeah. just know. Yeah. It's something you just know. That's great. What is the process of going through an exit like with these companies? So it's very different. So investors can exit through, obviously, uh, an acquisition. Um, and, and the company moves on and goes to the acquire. Um, the other way we've actually um, realized a lot of, of, of proceeds has been through secondaries. And so, you know, as we all know, the IPO windows moved out a lot and there's a lot of um, later stage funding out there. And those folks really are looking for, um, for, for more of the company um, because they have the funding to do it. And so, so quite often um, we've been selling uh, some of our shares in, in, into the secondaries and, and sometimes we'll, we'll keep some upside and we'll, um, we'll be able to, to realize some proceeds there. And, and some of the founders are doing that too, which is a good thing, right? It, it, takes, it takes a bit of pressure off, you know, paying their mortgage or doing X, Y, Z. And, 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 you know, there's a balance of not of making sure that the later stage um, investors um, are comfortable with, with the amount the founders are taking out. But I, I think it's a good thing, right? Because ideally what you're seeing um, to really get this flywheel going is that, you know, first-time founders start a company, they're successful, they come back either as angel investors or they'll start another company again. And you just get that process going. And, and you know, you learn so much building a company. And I was chatting to a founder um, last night who who I, I know I know how she'd do things differently in her next company, and she knows that, right? And yeah. there's only one way to do that, and there's only one way to learn that. Yeah. Um, and just surrounding yourself with great people along that journey, I think, and 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 open and trusting them, I think, is, is how you get through that first one. But but her next company, I, you know, she'll she'll do things very differently. She'll have a very different lens. There's so many learnings that you have through that. And 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 you know, again, you can see why people invest in 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 founders who are doing this in a serial way. So what 
what kind of information should be uh, in an investor pitch? Um, how long should it be? What information should not be in there? Uh, give a little bit of advice on mm-hmm. that. Yes, we have the benefit of seeing a lot of presentations. And part, before even the deck, um, you know, it's a sales process. And, and so I encourage founders to be really passionate about the problem they're solving, right? Because that's, that's sort of the North Star that they have to get up and deal with every day. So they need to really, really want to fix the problem they're solving. So so that passion for the problem they're solving should also um, come out pretty pretty early on. There's a lot of formats out there for slide decks. Um, you know, I think typically you should be ready to give a 20-minute presentation, uh, no longer. Um, and, and if it's a dynamic uh, discussion, then people, you know, that you're presenting to will ask you a bunch of questions. The, the the 12 slides are, are pretty straightforward we you know there's a bunch of as I say different different um, different templates out there I refer people to the old guy, guy Kawasaki one that's pretty standard right the the you make sure you touch on those key elements what shouldn't be in there there should I saw one yesterday it was a very technical company at a pitch competition and it was just honestly it, 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 he had numbers on the bottom of the slide and it was just so data rich that you just tune out so so making it you know um readable and uh engaging is obviously very important and don't don't make it a big technical thing i think people need to remember that we do see a lot of companies each day and so we do want to see a few things here and there that that kind of catch our attention Um, again we really look to the team and then another company that presented this week they had a really powerful advisory board that was around them and so in those early days that's a lot of um, social proof and signaling that's really really important that you know we're like okay if they can actually leverage those folks to open doors for them that's going to pave the way for what they're doing so that that you know to me was their competitive advantage in the early days um, of building their business what shouldn't be in there when when I work with founders who are going to raise follow-on I usually um, I suggest that they don't put their valuation in there um, that's more of a discussion point um, we all have CRMs so we're also always going to keep your slide decks and and you know we may revisit um, if you if you saw us six months ago and then you're visiting us now we may go back and say okay so how did you said you're going to do this um, you know how did that play out um, there's a great blog post I talk about a lot. It's from Mark Suster, and it's called I Invest in Lines, Not Dots. And it's about um, working on an ongoing basis with and building a relationship with with uh, a company's founders to see um, how they do what they say they're going to do. Uh, a lot of times you're or sometimes you're emailing your uh, your deck and other times you're presenting with it. Mm-hmm. Should you have two separate decks, one for when you're not there that speaks for itself and another one that you can kind of explain? And again, it's a sales process. So how would you treat any customer through the sales process? And so um, so I agree that if you're doing one that's uh, a live presentation, it's probably a little bit lighter. Uh, and then you're right, the other one might be shared. So so that's probably a good practice to do. Um, you have to assume everything's shared these days in, in within an organization, right? Not not externally, but um, um, so you have to assume that one version may be shared versus not. Um, but it's okay to have like a more snappy kind of marketing one uh, with a more detailed one that you kind of um, use as a backup. And have you ever been part of a company when they have to go through a pivot or thought that a company needed to go through a pivot? And how did you handle that with the founding team? Yeah, so they all do, (laughs) honestly. Um, 
and so we're not we're not investors who um, command folks to do X Y Z, right? And and I think we're around the table um, working with them as they learn and test and go through the marketplace. So so one company recently that I wouldn't say they went through a pivot. I think the the fundamental. Um, like they haven't changed a thing on their platform, but what they did was pivot their messaging and their target, and it's it's just making so much more sense. So so it was a simple um, a simple element where you know they brought on a new resource who had a, a deep understanding, um, and even deeper uh, from a sales perspective of the market they were selling into. The founder is a really great um, thought leader and knows the market super well, but just having that additional insight from someone who was a bit inside uh, of the potential customer distributor. Um, and understood a certain pain point differently um, really helped change the messaging. And and so, again, you really start seeing the sales cycle accelerating and the growth hitting, and, and they fundamentally did not change a thing about their product, right? The founder was always right about the overall need for the product. It was just around the messaging um, and, and, and the story and potentially who they were selling to. Um, that really kind of took it to the next level. So that's always exciting to see, right? Yeah. I have one, one final question. How do you know that the problem that your uh, company is starting is one that users actually care about? Yeah. So again, great question. And and that's, you know, the best part about being an investor is that um, you're paid to learn every day, right? And so, um, so we see a lot of companies we have the opportunity to go to a lot of different conferences and we have the ability to to do a fair bit of research um you know both first party and 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 go through some reports so so we're not thesis driven there are some vcs that are very thesis driven and so they're actually looking for that company that is solving that problem or they may even co-create one um for us it really falls to chatting with the market and the customers and the buyers and so that's where we do a fair bit of diligence um, once we're kind of at a point and we don't do it early on because we don't ever want to um, affect a business relationship that that is in place but if we're if we're if we're fairly down the process we will we will have those conversations with um, with the customer and uh, and as I say we have other elements to kind of really help identify um, pain points in the marketplace so timing is so important right um and and as i say there have been so many where uh they were just they were onto the right thing uh, i can think of one right now where um everything that's happening in the world around <laughs> emojis and tearing and everything like that he had that solved five six years ago um but technology wasn't necessarily ready to do what he was doing or even just the more mainstream piece so um and so, so those are misses where you, you get the gap, but but you know is is the broad adoption ready yeah. um, for it? And, and you know, often companies will run out of funding before they get to the point where yeah. they can get there. So, um, so yeah, that's sort of how we approach it. That's great. And my final question before the rapid fire stuff is, what are you most excited about in the Toronto scene in terms of being an investor in it? I, I can't believe how this community has grown over the past. Um, nine years um, it's it's and you go to other communities and you come back and realize what's going on here it's pretty special you know the talents here the customers are here and the investors are here and so things are really happening now at scale and that's really really exciting um, 
I think, though, there is a real community as well that's building around um, just different events. And, and the resources that uh, a founder has now, I think, are, are second to none. So, so I just get really excited about um, sharing that story um, and, and sharing it with, you know, people who want to build a company here. Like, I have absolutely um, no uh, concerns about saying, hey, come and start your company here. There's, there's everything that you need here to build a really great company. I love that. That's a quote. Alrighty, um, so we'll do the rapid fire. You start off with the first three for this. What is your favorite thing that Toronto has that no other city does? I, I, it's going to sound, you know, scripted, but I think the diversity we have, I, I really believe that. I think we have young people, old people. We have um, folks from all different cultures. We have startups and we have large companies, right? And so that whole element just is so important. It makes it just so easy. You know, we, we're, we're ahead of the curve on, on a bunch of stuff that's not in place in other places. What is your favorite place to go to in Toronto? I love High Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of my favorite places. Alrighty. And um, who was your favorite teacher or mentor um, that really helped you get to where you are today? Yeah, Ilsa, Ilsa Chernick, who was the CEO of Mars. Big, big person. Big. And then uh, another person who works closely with us, Carrie Golden, who's at um, IVP. And um, what was your very first job? Very first job? I was, you may not know this retailer, I was a Fairweather girl. I worked at Fairweather. It was my second job, but like, yeah, I worked at like, but I worked at Fairweather. It's funny. (laughs) For any founder who's uh, thinking about starting a company, what should be the very first step that they take? Talk to a customer. And do you have any other general advice for founders out there? Find the partners that you want to bring along with you in this journey and, 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 you know, try to be, try to build trust relationships with them um, through that process. Cause you know, through, through, it's a roller coaster. It's, you know, another founder I work with will say that it's like the biggest highs and the biggest lows and they can all happen in the same afternoon. And so, um, and so you need, you need, you need support. Make sure that you have support around you uh, to get through all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. That's great advice. Well, thank you so much for hosting us today here. Um, My pleasure. It was so great to meet you and to get to talk to you on our podcast. You're our very first VC, and it was great getting that perspective. So thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much. We wanted to thank you so much for coming in. We had such a great time interviewing you for Floater Founder. And thank you so much to our listeners. This was the very first of many more founder stories with you. Until Until next time. time.